you need a lot of things to actually plan and to understand where the need really is. So you need to allocate budget and you need to have like the use of the land, like very well structured and then start building according to that and forecast also. That's very important. Forecast your demographics as well. How is this going to grow? Uh, are we going to get more taxpayers? How, how do we retain them? That is some, a big topic uh, right now in Finland, like how do we, or overall in the world, like how do we keep people also in these small cities and how we provide these small cities with the right infrastructure? and avoid uh, them moving to the big cities for, for jobs, mostly. Welcome to the Urbanista, where we discuss the water management challenges of Nordic cities. From safe drinking water distribution and stormwater collection to building sustainable urban living environments. Here is your host, Delphine Vesalo. Hey, welcome back, Urbanistas. It's so nice to be back in your ears. Smart cities. Mm. A lot has been said about the smart cities. Building livable cities based on data. Mm. Can we say data-driven urban planning, quote-unquote? Yeah, but the most important factor is, well, us. The people. The city's inhabitants. So how do we make data-driven, but people-focused decisions for urban planning. Mm. My guest today is actually an expert in both data and urban planning. So who are you and what you do? <laughs> so hi, and thank you for having me as well here. Um, um, it's an honor also to be discussing this with you, especially uh, when you are specialists <laughs> also in this topic. Um, I, I am Natalia Rincon. I, I have a background in, well, actually computer science and architecture and then turn entrepreneur. Um, I have my whole like architecture life has been very focused in the urban planning. Um, maybe the reason there is that, uh, perhaps every time that we had to build something like a space, a building we were required to understand the user, like who is going to use the space, who is going to walk by, is it nice to walk by, uh, you know, all the activities, like, is this something actually that the community wants in there? So all of these things like, uh, have been pondering in my mind a lot and just marinating there and hence me being here. So thank you again. Yeah, because what the, what we have seen is that's what I mean. What what you are doing or your company is doing, Chaos Architects. Uh, would you give us a bit of a insight? What what exactly Chaos is doing? <clears throat> yeah, uh, Chaos is a location intelligence company uh, which collects uh, any geolocated data that you can think of, uh, cleans it, puts it together, applies data science. Uh, in this, I mean machine learning, AI and then gets new insights out of this. Uh, and we do this uh, to anyone that needs basically location intelligence, um, being that like a municipality that is planning zoning, um, property developer that is building new apartments or shopping malls or whatever, uh, real estate investors, banks that are giving insurances and loans, um, retail that needs to find spots, 
Uh, and why not, at the end of the day, also the end consumer, which needs to find a home? So this is what we are doing. And our vision here is to make more livable cities. What, one of the reasons that we have or we feel strongly about that, the whole team right now, uh, it's because uh, not every country has uh, the ability uh, to provide good environments for the citizens. And maybe I, I would include everyone there. I mean, there's always a lack of something somewhere. So so this is what chaos is doing in a nutshell. Location intelligence. Yeah. Uh, at least for me, that, that's a new word. Can you unpack a bit more? What, what exactly do you mean by, by location intelligence? Yeah. So usually, like, um, when you think uh, of um, doing something... Uh, I mean, a lot of activities, for example, a hobby it has a location or when you think of marketing, you know, not a, only a hobby, but going further, like a company that is marketing, you tend to think like, where are my consumers? And they have a location. Um, if you travel well, do you travel to a location? So location is actually so embedded in our like everyday life that we don't notice uh, this really, uh, unless we go to a very remote place and then there's nothing. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself that you're a bit lost because you can't relate to the environment. Um, so location intelligence is anything, it's the, the science, you know, of understanding a location, like the insight of a location. Um, very easily a location can just come to your mind like a street that's a location or a bar. If you're invited by one of your friends, you, you tend to look the location in Google maps and, and go. Uh, but if you think more of it, when it's uh, affecting a community, when you think of um, a neighborhood in your city, the neighborhood has a characteristic uh, and that is like an intangible thing. Maybe we think that it's uh, qualitative, uh, thing, but actually it can be quantitative. It's like how many people think like this in this neighborhood. Uh, and when we look at neighborhoods around the world, uh, some are very hipster neighborhoods, uh, filled with young people. Uh, some are maybe more for, uh, elderly, some are for families as well. And then you have playgrounds. Uh, so neighborhoods have also characteristics and, uh, an adjective, you know, like can be also uh, quantitative. So anything that we're speaking really like the essence, the insight of a space, of an area, that's location intelligence. Because typically when uh, any urban planner wants to develop a new space, whether it's commercial, residential or, or just for the community, of course, you need to go to the place. How does it look like? now at the moment and as you said how does it feel how what is the people living there or passing by there what are they doing this kind of qualitative things but what you are actually pointing out more is quantitative so how do i mean the actual data mm -hmm. is it is it that when when you enter when chaos enter in, into place gathering yeah. data about any specific place which, which type of data uh, are you collecting or, or and how is that uh, leveraged or how, how can that be leveraged by the, the urban planner who is planning to do, to do something in that place? 
Yeah, so you're writing that it's like anything that it be quant can be quantified from allocation. Um, maybe for a very long time we have been used to uh, think that sentiments cannot be quantified. Uh, and now we are realizing uh, with social media that they actually can. So, um, for example, if you think that... Uh, uh, an example of Twitter... Mm -hmm. um, or like when people start commenting and, and there's like either positive tone or negative tone, uh, you can always find a location from that tweet uh, through an IP address. And if you sum all the tweets from that community, it's very interesting to get to know like what is the sentiment of the community. Uh, might be since Twitter is uh, more commenting in um, uh, news of the world, it might be that it just changes based on what's happening in the world. Um, but if we take another example, Google, the searches of Google, um, might be that in a very youngster, like a neighborhood feel of youngsters, uh, very progressive or, you know, liberal, you might find a lot of Googling in like, a, where is this a vegetarian restaurant or where is a, uh, where can I, you know, do certain hobbies like that appeal to mm -hmm. them. So when you quantify like sentiments also, and, and when you have big data, that's uh, the beauty of big data that you can actually quantify feelings. <clears throat> yeah, so, all, as, yeah. as you said, all this is well, publicly available data. It's just there outside. And we have all that data is generated by, well, by ourselves, perhaps through different channels, everything goes online. So basically, you are collecting all those trillions, gazillions of data points, uh, which is, I guess, a huge task, technically speaking, and then making sense of them because data, by the, for the sake of having data, I guess that's not the point. How do you make sense of those things? The example of the sentiment actually is quite um, quite illustrative if at any given point in any specific point in time in a location people is complaining angry or i mean for whatever it is a, what is the social situation happening in yeah. that moment there is it related to the actual place where they are living okay there may be other factors but or the weather oh. or uh -huh. <clears throat> so for example uh nowadays in finland we are getting a bit more uh hours of sun and you can see that the spirit of people are, it's like a bit, it's you know, close to immediately. Yes. yes. No matter. It's uh, still, yeah. it's, it's not all over the place, but at least there's like, <laughs> whoa, what is this, that big bright thing in the sky that we have not seen in many months, but yeah, that yeah. changes the mood definitely. And if you check like how we are interacting in internet also, either in social media or, um, uh, let's say Instagram, how many posts with positive words like are coming, uh, or like overall in Google searches, when the weather is good. So two data points that might seem very unrelated are related to, to each other. Um, oh, another example is that uh, in rainy days, for example, uh, you know that you have these happy or not buttons in, in some <laughs> yes, stores. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, might be that in rainy days, people feel a bit more grumpy and then you get more... Uh, Negative very or red, red buttons push. Yeah. Uh -huh. So <clears throat> the weather affects also how, how we perceive uh, our environment. 
and just understanding and monitoring that because, of course, it's not a shot that uh, people are angry. No, it's uh, it varies uh, along the way. And um, that's actually where our name comes from, chaos. It's a complexity. It's a system that is very complex, that is difficult to predict because there's a lot of multiple parameters that affect the outcome. <clears throat> so, so all these data points that uh, you mentioned, the sentiment from the people, the com what is the commentary going around there, even the weather, the, the, the seasons on, on, on the year, yeah, there's a lot of data that you can collect from one specific place, city, neighborhood. I, I believe you can, can you get narrowed down to very concrete places. So, why an urban planner wants to know all those all those things that seems to be like way too many variables all over mm -hmm. the place? So, why they make, why they need them? Yeah. So, an urban planner can be like working either uh, in the public side or private side. If I take a look at the public side, uh, the public would usually uh, need, um, or, or the, the whole point of a municipality, for example, in the public side, is to attract taxpayers and to raise the quality of life uh, for them. So <clears throat> when you're planning uh, or zoning, either making a general plan or a, a more detailed plan, you need to understand a lot of factors that will influence that. So you want to provide schools, uh, <laughs> you want to um, see uh, how many households can you attract and what type of households do you attract, uh, demographics as well, overall, age, gender, um, uh, yeah, income level, of course. Uh, then you need to make sure that um, once you attract them, you have to provide also hospitals, uh, services like grocery stores, transportation, uh, so you need a lot of things to actually plan and to understand where the need really is. Uh, so you need to allocate budget and you need to have like the use of the land, uh, like very well structured and then, you know, uh, start building according to that and forecast also. That's very important. Forecast your, uh, demographics as well. How is this going to grow? Uh, are we going to get more taxpayers? How how do we retain them? That is some a big topic uh, right now in Finland. Like how do we, or overall in the world, like how do we keep uh, people also in these small cities, and how we provide these small cities with the right infrastructure, and avoid uh, them moving to the big cities for for jobs mostly. Exactly. So that's it's giving the people everything that they need to have a livable city or a livable place where where they are. Yeah. Directly. So all this data, uh, as we were saying, it's, it's a huge amount of data points that the urban planner may need the insights from there. So they need to learn, but processing all those millions and trillions of data points. So that is, that is quite a task. That needs a lot of technology. And how are you managing that? because the urban planner may not understand all the very detailed bits and bytes of mm -hmm. where the data come. But I, I assume that what they need is the insight. So tell me if all these data points combined means that the people in this 
community, given the age, given the, let's say, all this, what they will need, what they need now, it's a daycare, a playground, but in 10 years, they will need, I mean, more than one school, uh, it's mm -hmm. not just elementary school, they will need the, the secondary school of the, mm -hmm. because of course the kids will grow. Mm -hmm. uh, but all this data, how do you make sense of all this data? So that's a very good question. I think that uh, we do have a lot of data in the world, uh, contrary of what we think. Uh, sometimes, at least uh, in the real estate industry, sometimes we think that, oh, we don't have enough data to make a decision. Or or we just have our Excel files, like with um, uh, profit and loss, you know. So, But um, mm -hmm. we do have a lot of data. Uh, we do have a lot uh, of possibilities. Uh, as you said, we're just discussing multiple possibilities of how to make sense of data. Uh, and do, we do have the tech uh, to support this as well. Uh, we have machine learning uh, recently, like the, the most recent chat GPT, like uh, that has been like a sensation. I mean, yeah, taking the world by <clears throat> storm. Everybody's talking about yeah. AI and AI is taking over our jobs and our lives entire. But, but that's amazing because in order to train that kind of algorithm, you need to look into a vast amount of data. Um, and I think the most difficult part here for us uh, in, in this uh, mission of uh, livable cities is to decide where to start. <laughs> That's basically, it's like, where do we start and what kind of data do we collect first to create the biggest impact? <clears throat> and uh, that has been discussed a lot with our customers. Like we need to understand uh, as a private company first, like uh, what is uh, uh, the need really that, that is out there in the market? Uh, that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Uh, and for us, was people. Uh, it was like to understand people. Uh, our customers, which are in the real estate industry, tend to be very savvy about, uh, does the location have a view? You know, uh, uh, where is it uh, located exactly in the city? Or is it out in the city? Out of the city, I mean. Uh, then they are very good at uh, valuations because they know how their assets are performing. Uh, they can go to a bank and ask for a loan uh, and so on. So they're they very savvy in that. But one thing that is uh, everybody should be looking at is the demand. I mean, is there a demand for that kind of asset? Uh, and looking at people and measuring people was not done in the industry before. So we decided to start with what is missing in the industry uh, and people. Um, and from there, understanding where people are, uh, how is the forecast going to go and uh, are they going to move or migrate and, and how does that relate to the other conditions of the location uh, was the first task for us. So so we started by uh, understanding the demographic uh, data of a location. So mm. all these data collection and aggregation and getting those insights, as you said, well, it's super valuable for uh, the urban planners themselves, for, for the investors, for the real state investors, uh, or the municipality in its case, if, if the municipalities um, wonder on, on trying to invest in specific public services or developing new new areas. All this data, I understand you started collecting all these and making sense of all this chaos, there you go, <laughs> all this data <laughs> chaos uh, from cities in Finland. And then I believe you are also now collecting things or working in Copenhagen specifically in Denmark. Are you or you, are you somewhere else across the Nordics or, or what is the, uh, the current situation of the, the data that you have? Yeah, we have uh, in Finland, in Denmark, uh, 
I would say like most uh, a good coverage of the countries. Uh, we have some information already or data uh, from Sweden. Uh, Sweden is also very similar to Finland. Um, and we are expanding more uh, through uh, Europe. So um, Germany, Netherlands, um, Spain. <clears throat> but uh, everybody has uh, the information we're looking for. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, connecting to our cloud platform and getting insights from there. So, so in practice, as you said, a lot of data has been generated, whether it's by the people themselves, social media, or anyway, everything that they put online, <coughs> but also other publicly available data. I mean, like public uh, um, uh, databases mm. that come from in, um, government entities, or is that type of data that you also collect or, or combine? Yeah, we collect from uh, different sources. So some of these are private uh, data. For example, Twitter now is going to be charging for the APIs. And yes, uh, yeah, of course, because data. they need to do business now. They are <laughs> not in a good situation. Okay, that's a long uh, thing. And um, governments have also demographic data, which they sell. Um, some is public available data, like uh, Denmark has been very good in, in having this information open, and they see a benefit mm -hmm. for that. And I agree totally with that, like... Uh, there's um, other countries uh, also should look more into how Denmark has been opening data that is very relevant for the industry. You know, we are all in this ESG race. And I think the more transparent data we have, the, the better and the sooner we're going to get there. Um, so, yeah, like we collect from different sources and then we put it together uh, to create an insight. But for us, it's not enough to give you a, a point in a map saying that uh, here you find um, you know, grocery store. We want to take you to the next level. So we want to tell you that this place is very convenient for you to live in because of all these reasons. So it's getting you to the right insight rather than just showing you data. Are you also collecting any type of data about the, uh, the soil, the ground for any, any new potential development that the city wants to expand that at the moment is not but it's not uh, uh, mm -hmm. built. And uh, because one of the things that we have seen in, in several Nordic countries, uh, in Denmark actually, is that historically the, the soil and the ground has been used for many purposes and end up being polluted. So maybe in this place, there was a gas station in the fifties. And mm -hmm. then of course there were gasoline spills and then it, it went, it's no longer there. It has not been there already for 20 years. And then the municipality decides to build a new um, a residential uh, place there. But hey, under there, there's there's something. I mean, in, in the development of the of that residential place, how do we get the water there? So through contaminated soil, is that something that you can collect? I mean, the state of the soil, or is there anything data out there? Yeah, there is for sure. Uh, this has been done also by geographers and, and when you build also like construction companies need to know more about the soil, uh, definitely. So you have to comply also with uh, regulations and uh, healthy regulations also when building there. Um, we see a lot of examples in the world uh, when buildings are not building the right soil, for example, either that you start flooding, for example, if you don't, if the soil also is not like uh, taking the rainwater. Uh, so yeah, like this is something that it is done in practice, 
we are in an R&D phase to collect uh, climate data as a whole. Uh, for example, wind, air quality, energy sources, soil, etc. So, yeah, I can tell you that that is one part of the 360 view that we also have. That is actually that's super interesting because climate change. Well, everybody's talking about that. That, that is a topic. It's uh, whether some people don't want to believe it. But that's another another thing. But we have seen that in some parts of the world. There's drought, there's, there's no water, has not rained in years now, causing, of course, problems. In other parts of the world, conversely, it rains a lot, a way much more, which also puts um, uh, some strain, some, some uh, pressure on the actual cities that suddenly are getting a lot of rainwater where before they, they didn't. And then that's, that's the situation. How do they deal with that? Do we expand? This, uh, these networks, the collection of rainwater, and when we build new new places for whatever purposes, residential, industrial, how do we, how can we know if in that place will rain even more in the next 10, 20 years? Uh, so that is, is there a way to forecast? I mean, because you have mentioned also you have artificial intelligence. Is there a way to get the historic data and do some projections? So this place will have this amount of, I don't know, <laughs> predict uh, the climate, the weather that there will be in that in that place in 20 years. But having yeah. some clue about that. You are very right, like on that, that uh, we are experiencing now like different uh, conditions uh, in the climate in, in different countries that before we didn't. Um, and, and we see that happening a lot, like uh, extra rainwater or maybe also drought, like uh, in California, and then you have mm -hmm. these uh, forests that are on fire. Um, so there's a lot of changes. Also, we see it in Finland, uh, how winters vary. I mean, all in all, it's, we are all part of an ecosystem. So of course, you can experience that. Um, on the other hand, um, I come from a city uh, that it's a desert. We didn't have rainwater. Uh, of course, very little, but when it rained, it rained like uh, drastically, you know, okay. and then we had these like floods. And why was that uh, like that? It was uh, not that we wouldn't have the right infrastructure to absorb the rainwater, but the decision was made that since in average, the millimeters that you get from rainwater are so small, then the um, uh, pipe should the be small. Diameter of the, yeah. Exactly, the diameter of the pipe. Uh, however, uh, because that rainwater, it was not an average through the year, it was like done in a specific time frame. then of course the diameter was not enough. So there was, uh, and if you would extend that, it would be filled with sand and more cleaning should occur. So there was like a discussion, you know, like how did, should you invest in, in these kind of situations? And now that cities should take that into consideration, climate change overall, we should think about the infrastructure. Is our infrastructure ready to support that uh, first? Uh, and yes, like going back to your question, is it possible to uh, have historical data and see how it has been performed? I think that in the whole topic of climate change, this is what scientists have been doing for a while, you know, looking at historical data and then, uh, mm, uh, how do you say, like uh, advising uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, hey, something is happening here. So definitely you can do that. 
we are very careful, like uh, at least in chaos, like to say that we can forecast <clears throat> uh, exceptions, let's say. Uh, people or customers ask us, can you forecast pandemia like COVID? And oh, well, you, you, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like exceptions and anomalies, you cannot forecast. We have to understand that a forecast is like the best understanding with the elements that we have today. How is the future going to look like? And in that, of course, you can add like how climate change is performing and assume that if we are getting worse and worse, the forecast is looking like this. But could be that something happens, an event, um, uh, an asteroid hits Earth and completely changes the climate, you know. So, of course, the forecast would not be the same because you mm. added like it, it was an anomaly. Uh, and the same happens um, very concrete, I tell you, maybe not, not so catastrophe, <laughs> I go into catastrophes, but um, uh, services. Mm -hmm. uh, we know the services of an area. Uh, how many schools, grocery stores, etc., are in an area. Uh, and we have been asked, like, can you forecast a service? No, I cannot forecast a service. Like the uh, demand for the service, you mean? Yeah, that is exactly. I can forecast the demand for the service, but I cannot forecast how many restaurants are going to open because that's an anom anomaly. Uh, you know, it's a decision that someone will take. So I cannot forecast decisions, but I can tell you the trend. For example, I can tell you that during the past year, five restaurants have been here and the five of them have closed. So I can forecast that if there's a restaurant coming, it won't pay off. And then I can look at the demographics and say, why are restaurants not working in this area? Mm -hmm. And then maybe because uh, you don't, you have families, maybe, and uh, as a household, and you only open restaurants during the working days, let's say. So... You know, then you understand that, of course, families will not go to the restaurants. Restaurants are not a good, uh, uh, it's not a good location for restaurants. So I can understand the trend and I can assume something, but I cannot tell you that uh, a shopping mall or three new restaurants will appear tomorrow. That's an anomaly. That's, yeah. that's part of, I guess, when the real human criteria, the real human being thinking comes into place. You have all this data, you have all these uh, historical patterns, and then you say, well, this is the situation based on this pattern. We can preview that this may be likely to happen. Uh, these things that are anomalies, as you call them, but that's when the real person, the real, I mean, whether it's, I don't know if it's part of your team or the real urban planner is like, needs to think I mean, the example that you spoke, the restaurant, well, they, they, they closed the restaurant. Well, it, it happens that it was only a restaurant for the type of, uh, I don't know, night fine dining. Well, while there's a lot of families, well, it happens that uh, families with the small kids may not likely go to fine dining every night, right? So then you have, to, you have to invest in a restaurant that is more suitable for families. Even that is the insight for the, for the investor, actually, yeah. for the investor of that potential, potential uh, restaurant. But that is... I mean, you can arrive even to that level of detail, but always with a human evaluation on, on top. Yeah, always a demand. And um, maybe going further into more of the demand or, and people, uh, if you have a lot of families in an area <coughs> and um, you understand that um, 
maybe there's like a in in social media or the tweets or anything else like a discussion uh, you know that uh, rents are high and that is giving you an indication that uh, the families in that area are not satisfied with the rent level or their income is a bit too small for that rent level. So if an investor or property developer or asset manager knows that information, they need to prepare for that because they be that more likely these families will go and search for cheaper or more affordable apartments than that area. So you, you need to prepare also for what um, <coughs> tenants uh, think overall. And and that's actually uh, something very interesting that I have been seeing like uh, now that we have been involved a lot in ESG is that uh, now the private companies need to look more and more and are going to be pressured to look at the tenants' expectations. So what is everybody expecting? Uh, and not only as a consumer, but also if you're a company, uh, do you like the office space? Is it affordable? Uh, is it compliant uh, with ESG? Uh, and, and look more at, at that. And then we would be more critical as consumers or companies uh, towards also uh, these big uh, developers or real estate investors as well. Exactly. Now that you are talking the yeah the sustainable development goals uh, that, that have been set forth by the United Nations already some time ago, and how we as people, we are, well, consumers or users of, of the cities, if I can put it that way, so we are super aware of those and, and there's more conscious and demand for that type of any type of sustainable deal or sustainable uh, uh, thought uh, spaces. And that's, yeah, we have seen the same, that that's, that's the trend now. The people is actually more conscious, more uh, demanding that type of things. What have you seen from the investor perspective, whether it's private investor or municipality? investing in something have you seen more less interest what, what's their their appetite for really having or building sustainable cities or sustainable places yeah i see that uh this topic has been already like uh, <clears throat> discussed uh, so much it's it's a sustainability in general it's a very old topic uh as an architect we also you know uh taught to be um conscious about the environment mm -hmm. uh, so they started very and then build passive houses you know that where is the sun coming and, and design based on that <coughs> um then we had like uh, around in the 90s we had this um lead and bream uh so mm -hmm. bream yep. in europe and leading in north america uh and we have all these practices uh that were like a nice to have you know like something that would provide you like a little bit like edge uh, 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 from your competitor. Uh, but now with uh, this Paris, Paris Agreement and all these uh, carbon emissions that we have to be conscious on, from last year, uh, 2022, or I would say 2021 until now, I have seen a whole complete shift uh, in developers, real estate investors, uh, investors uh, overall, like equity investors, um, so it's not anymore a nice to have having a sustainability aspect is not a nice to have anymore. yeah it's not nice to have anymore it's like a must 
And every conference and, and every event that I'm attending is like ESG is like the discussion uh, everywhere. Uh, and, and I think now everybody's pressured. Whomever doesn't is not quick to adopt these uh, new standards uh, is going to be left out of the competition quite quickly. So I think there, there's an urgency also in, in everyone like to do that. So have you seen whether it's private or, or the public, how much, because when they are talking about investing, well, how much money are we putting in? How much money in the long term we will get as a return? Of course, that talking about the private, private investor, talking about the public sector. Well, they have public open uh, tenderings that they may or may not put any criteria, sustainability criteria. So they are aware, both private and public, that we need to address this. But have you seen actual in, in any Nordic city or any Nordic region that they are putting, for example, environmental requirements in the public tendering or, or even the, the, the private request for the matter? Have you seen that it's actually there? In yeah. the project already quantified, we need this amount of carbon footprint reduction of whatever is the material at the construction. Of the... Are you seeing those things in, in the, from the from the Nordics? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's everywhere. Um, and for example, this like EU taxonomy, like all these ESG um, measurements that you have to have, like, and if you want to report or make an investment, now you have to present that data. So definitely, everybody now is pressured. Uh, also from the equity side, also from investors, they're asking all companies to have this quantifiable, uh, you know, CO2 reductions and how are mm -hmm. you helping with the environment? And if your solution is also as a company uh, helping the environment, you need to know how to quantify that and you need to present that. It's not enough anymore that to say that we comply with this UN SDG, you know, you have to have calculations on how much you're helping. And to get to that level, it's actually quite hard. It's uh, all the time. I think the currency right now, it's these CO2 emissions, like how much you create, how much you save, you know, and can you transfer them? Because we have also in the European Union now this uh, transfer of CO2 emissions that I'm producing less, you're producing more, we can transfer, you know. It's so crazy. I think CO2, yes. yeah, CO2 emissions are becoming the new currency. Because one of the yeah, one of the things that yeah we have seen definitely much more attention in the criterias from a life cycle assessment, uh, or than in any given project as as such, whatever is the mm -hmm. real estate development that they're going to do, uh, taking into account yes all the materials, the raw materials that go into the construction, the carbon footprint in the actual making of the in the installation of whatever systems or building, mm -hmm. so that is that is another one. You are right. The carbon footprint has been like the currency, the absolute number one. And how do you prove that? Are you going to use this type of material, this type of uh, um, steel, plastic, cement, whatever? Show me the EPD. Show me the environmental product declaration of that product. So that proves validated mm -hmm. by a third party that actually what you are saying is, is, is actually, yeah, correct. Um, yeah, so the EPDs, at least from, from our side, we have seen that they are actually now more and more in demand. But yeah, from the last 18 months, it's yeah, exactly. Like it's it was like a complete booming. shift. Yeah. 
booming. Uh -huh. And the, in, in terms of um, what I was asking you about the public sector, because in, in Finland we have seen, yeah, kind of we are aware there are very uh, specific cases, cities like Lahti, who was actually the environmental capital of, of uh, Europe last year, a couple of years ago, but that's it. Uh, Sweden, yeah, there are already a few municipalities that they have the, regardless of the political view behind the, the, uh, the, the political party in power, they say, we want to be the most sustainable city in Europe. I, at least a couple of cities have told us that, oh, mm -hmm. well, that's, uh, <laughs> but we are not seeing only one case that I can remember, uh, uh, water utility in Denmark actually seems to be like they are a bit or a lot ahead of, of the rest in the public tendering, you know, they have these weightings, mm -hmm. uh, which is product availability, price, delivery, etc. And they put different percentages. They assign 40%, four zero, 40% to the environmental aspect. Mm -hmm. Tell me, how are you sustainable and prove it? Of course, that, that was kind of surprised, like was last year. Oh, we like that more municipalities will be doing that. Mm -hmm. But how do you see it? I mean, either public or, or private, are, really, are they really understanding what, are they, what they need to ask in sustainability mm. terms? <clears throat> I don't think... Uh, yeah, I, I still have my reservations for that. I mean, we're going the right way. Um, mm, I put this diplomatically, but <laughs> I, I think that uh, we were not pressured uh, in general, like to comply with these standards. You know, as I mentioned, that this is an old concept. Uh, no one wanted to do like this. Uh, I think companies don't think like that, that let's make a good impact in the world because it costs more. Mm. It means a lot also, like what kind of materials are you using? You might not go for the cheaper one you know, and then your profitability is going to suffer. So, of course, I understand the nature of that. Uh, but I don't think that as humans, we are just led by good intentions. Uh, I think companies at least needed uh, an incentive. And the incentive in this case is that if you don't do it, like you're going to be the last one. So, of course, then there's this fierce competition in, in getting there first. Um the way that it's doing done, because it's so complex to get data and information, and are we doing it right, is that con companies start to look at consultants uh, that are generating these ESG reports, mm. <laughs> and uh, everybody starts doing that. For me, an ESG report is not uh, good. It's, uh, it's like measuring, uh, if you want to lose weight, uh, and you go and measure yourself, like your fat index and oh, how much mm -hmm. do I weigh? That's the equivalence to an ESG report in losing weight. So if you want to lose weight, you will go and measure yourself. You would make a plan. You know, every day you need to eat this. Uh, every day you will weigh yourself. You would measure. You would make exercise also. Uh, and then at the end of two months, you can say that I've lost 10 kilos or whatever. Uh, that is how ESG needs to happen. You need to monitor. So uh, a report that a building is performing well in a given time, it's not enough uh, or whatever operations. Uh, 
you need to monitor through time how that is affecting also uh, the environment and how that affected uh, and and like other buildings in the area or uh, the demographics in the area because you created a change let's face it so you your building is not alone you're now part of an it's ecosystem okay. and you need to monitor that and you have usually our customers have a portfolio so like a <clears throat> set of uh, buildings or investments and you can't just go and say like how is my esg right now it's like you need to make a plan to convert your portfolio and it doesn't happen uh, when you get the easy report and says that you are sustainable, it's, it happens through time. For example, if you have a, uh, a building, just a very random example that is using passive energy and you have, uh, solar cells, and then you experience that during a year, actually 80% of the time it was cloudy and then you needed to buy energy from somewhere else. So you know, you might be sustainable because you are trying to use that, but in the end, you actually end up buying energy. Exactly, because that building was built, was I mean, built sustainably at the, at the beginning, all the materials, etc. But as you say, measuring over time, yeah, what happens if after uh, after a certain period of, of time, uh, the solar panels end up not being provided enough energy, then you have to buy energy from where? From where this yeah. energy is coming from? Is it green energy or green electricity produced? And then, well, the green building ends up not that green anymore in, in the long run. I guess all this comes back to the measuring. How are you? And the data, actually, mm -hmm. that was the start of the conversation. How are we measuring data a long time and how it's evolving? Because that's what I'm getting things keep moving even whatever we build or investors or real real estate investors put their money in something now and how it how that will perform if we can say what is the building performance if we had to call it like that uh yeah. now in five years in 10 years and, and that's what actually that's what you mentioned we can show a forecast show a trend it's not accurate but show a trend on how that that could happen yeah and forecasts change because when something else happens then you're gonna change if you affect it already the future this is like the movie uh, back to the future if you change one single thing you it, will affect it all, you know? all, all yeah all um, the things that <laughs> happen subsequently change it or yeah, the, the, the exactly time, the, what was the consequence of the time in the timeline yeah um, is it the measuring the, the, the one of the core things? Is it what are we measuring in terms of the official uh, uh, the official certificates or the official way of measuring? If it is EPD, if it is uh, I mean the the official way of measuring. And in the past, um, uh, uh, we have interviewed uh, Professor Gregory Norris from the from MIT. Uh, who is actually well the authority in LCA, and he was saying, "Hey, start to forget about EPDs or start to forget about carbon footprint." In the European Union, there's this PEF mm -hmm. that is coming. That is way more more challenging. Um, yeah, so is that the where we are going? The way we are measuring, I I also we are think comparing against. 
Um, one big challenge that we have, I think, it's uh, the standardizing of how we interpret data. So if you take a look at different reports and, um, well, all of these ones, which one could you say that is actually uh, the best? And can we compare between them? So uh, if... Are they comparable? Maybe they measure two different things or from e different exactly. perspectives? And it tends to be that they're not. Uh, some of these also reporting, it's done uh, like different reports now, uh, are done by private companies. So if you get a report from a private company and then you go to another one, that one is going to say, oh, we cannot measure like that. Your report is not good enough from that company. You have to measure again because they're not comparable. And because, of course, they want to sell services. So uh -huh. I think just standardization of how we interpret things, it's a big challenge. And that's why, again, for me, just seeing two reports doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't tell me the big picture, you know, and this is basic, you know, leadership. Like in any organization, you work better if you see data constantly rather than just like one report every quarter. So <laughs> I think that's a, we should just learn to think a bit differently. And I was discussing this example um, with another uh, colleague, uh, you know that in the world, I'll give you this analogy, that in the world, uh, we started to have a problem with uh, the um, uh, plastic straws. Mm -hmm. So 88% uh, of the beaches in the world were polluted by plastic. 50% of that was single use. So this kind. So these were uh, estimated to be 8.3 billion uh, plastic straws. And then in order, the humanity, in order to control the problem, uh, we said, you know, we have to switch to these metal uh, or glass straws. And then instead of using one time and then generating trash, we just have to buy one and use it more times. But what happened is that uh, the industry of these new uh, re reusable straws mm -hmm. Uh, is growing 5.3% 5, 5 every year. It's 19.2 billion worth industry only in US. And by 2033, it's expected to surpass 32 billion. So what he's telling me is that this is a very good industry. And now I'm generating uh, straws that are reusable. I, if I think how many straws are being generated, it's already more than the persons in the world. And if these are reusable, why are we generating more than two? Exactly. One person, one straw, and yeah. needs to use it 10, 20, 100 times in order to really compensate actually the carbon footprint of that one straw being produced. You know, to compensate that, you have to use it. Exactly. Times, I, 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 like I forever, your whole life. And uh, at the end, if we would drink from the glass, with no straw, we would already save 8.3 billion straws. <laughs> we don't use straws. Yes, so, that's... Uh, and I mean, this is like a very subjective discussion because one can say, yeah, but I want luxury. You know, I cannot think of everything. I, I, I have so many things going in my life and I want to spend in a Mercedes and buy straws and buy Tupperwares and, you know, not recycle because we are tired of operations. That's why we started to have these luxuries in life. 
But imagine that nine billion persons in the world wanting to have luxuries, uh, mm. you know, it's exploding the world. And um, what we got from this conversation is not that, let's say that the straw industry is not bad, you know, but we need to kill our darlings. We need to kill what we are thinking that is that was the problem. So what was the problem here? Was it the plastic produced or was it the amount of trash that unnecessary trash the that education, we're producing? Yes, yes. So first of all, rephrase the problem that you want to like uh, fix. Is it the plastic straw or is it the trash in general? And then secondly, be ready to kill your darlings. Don't go to a metal straw or glass straw, like change the way of thinking. And when we are approaching the ESG, we need to think like that. Whatever we think that is the right way, it's not solving the problem. It's like constant monitoring. It's not just like, now I have a certification here that I'm ESG compliant. It's much more than that. Change in thinking. And actually, yeah, that's, yeah, that's one of the key things that we need all to, to put in our, in our minds and our priorities. And if we want to really get or develop sustainable urban environments. And uh, one of the things actually that I, that I saw in, in your website, and actually our producer Maria can, can put a link to that. Uh, you have a manifesto for sustainable urban, urban development that has three points. That, that was super interesting. Can you elaborate more? How are you seeing that? What is this, from where this manifesto came from? Yeah, so <clears throat> we realized that uh, our vision is livable cities. And uh, we were speaking more of that internally than outside, first of all, that uh, we were not really showing how we are doing the things, how how we are getting insights. So we were discussing about this, like why it's important for us to get an insight of affordability, uh, which is one of the <clears throat> goals in UN SDGs, uh, is that the income of a demographic group matches the rent levels. So for us, it was important to measure areas that are like that. And now our customers want to know the affordability of these apartments. Uh, why? Because uh, it's a right that everybody should have housing. And that shouldn't be more than 30% of your income. Imagine that some families pay more than 50% of their income for their own housing. I think that is unlivable. It's what happens to the rest of your income if you have a family, for example. So UN SDGs is, uh, uh, well, encouraging this or enforcing this in a certain way. Uh, and, and we want to tell and, and be really stand where, where we believe it's the right way. So we cannot control the decisions of our customers, but we can advise in what is the best practice. And a manifesto for us is a way of saying that we will stand with this. You know, it's, we are measuring, we are telling and, and we are doing our job in here in a way because, uh, and we want the world also to understand the benefits of that uh, because it just doesn't come with, with this, uh, well, we should be affordable and stuff. It's, there's a benefit also, uh, and it's a long-term benefit as well for humanity in general. So we are all here trying to push towards building affordable environments to, to live in and also that are sustainable in 
in the long run. And I guess it's not just for me, for you, for our children, I guess, for our grandchildren, because we may not be the, the ones seeing the end result. Yeah. Analia, this has been super insightful. Is there something that you want to say to, to wrap up? Actually, this sustainability topic is one of the core things. Do you want, how would you like to wrap up this conversation? Well, uh, if there would be two takeaways of here is that uh, I would say that uh, um, reporting is not enough and monitoring is the key. So uh, maybe those are the two takeaways <laughs> in moving is, forward. Reporting is not enough and monitoring, monitoring is, the key. is the key because data changes, things changes over time. There you go. Thank you so much, Natalia, for your time. And we continue doing this type of, uh, of interviews in um, getting that insights for people from like you that are the ones that are, well, shaking and trying to move forward mm -hmm. this this industry, the construction industry, and in, in general, the development of, of cities. Thank you very much, urbanistas, for listening today. And uh, we will be coming back with more this in-depth conversation with experts like Natalia. Thank you so much. Thank you, yes. Thank you for listening to the Urbanista podcast, a production of Upono Infra, the leader in sustainable infrastructure solutions. If you found it interesting, why don't you share it with your colleagues? We all together can move our industry forward.